Okay, I'm just going to pray over us and then we'll jump in to the text. God, I thank you for, for passages like this that um, are somewhat vulnerable, that we read them and, um, and they're so curious because they seem not just to speak to those that are involved, but they seem to speak to us in really profound ways. And I pray that, that your spirit will communicate this morning to us um, just the gospel truth of who Jesus is and, and the healing that he came to bring that we can't just bring about by our own efforts, but we need you so badly um, to both bring that healing and to communicate to us this morning. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. So, Christ's healing community. Um, the newspaper article that, that was read, the letter to the editor, that was so exciting, talking about how, how the Coffee Oasis lives the gospel. I think what's, what's really exciting about that is that is that it's not just the Fredericks, right? It's not just um, the staff at the Coffee Oasis, but it's, it's you guys, too, who come in. Um, by no means is it a single face that lives in the gospel of the Coffee Oasis, but it's those who have come in and found a community that's built upon the person of Jesus Christ. And, and somehow, by God's mercy, have learned to, to share life together in a way that they enjoy each other, maybe, and, and want to do that more. So, so I'm just so thankful for you guys that you guys are, you know, that we're doing this adventure together because, because honestly, as we jump into to John 8, what we get here is something that is, is sort of surprising and comfortable. Um, and what Jesus is doing to, to bring healing to the earth is something that, um, like we found in the Christmas story, isn't something we'd necessarily always uh, advise. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why, if, if you have this, I don't know in the new Bibles that we just got, if it has this same note, but, but probably the majority of your Bibles will have a note around this portion of Scripture that says the earliest, most reliable manuscripts and other witnesses do not have this portion of Scripture. Um, so, so, why are we in this? And so I'm going to deal with that really quickly first. Um, before we jump into it, just so uh, you don't disregard the whole sermon, because you're like, well, the earliest, most reliable manuscripts, actually. Um, so, so the reasons why we're, we're still in this is because, because without a doubt, as we see um, passed along and through other accounts, that this story was passed along through oral tradition. Um, the reason why it was, it was first not put in down uh, in the, the earliest manuscripts of it was because it seems out of place, especially out of place in the Gospel of John, where the Gospel of John is so laser articulate, right? You read the Gospel of John, and you have these, these passages over, to go over again where Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life, right? I am living water. If you, if you drink from me or eat of me, you will have life. John starts with it saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? It's so articulate, placing Jesus as God, that then we get to John 8, and, and we're going, why is this included? And that was the question all along. Because turn with me really quick to, to the end of John, John 20, 31. And this was the criteria for, for anything in the book of John being included. Imagine 
someone writing uh, the, the biography of, I won't choose myself, of Dave Frederick. We'll choose him. Right? Someone writing his biography, and they probably wouldn't say, January the 7th, Dave woke up and had oatmeal. Right? So, so some things just aren't included, and the same thing in these Gospels is it, it points to Jesus and specific stories about Jesus that are as a, representing um, his mission here on earth. So it doesn't record often um, you know, when he took baths and, and things like that. So John 20, 30-31 says this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, so as this was passed on through oral tradition and, and began being recorded more and more, they eventually included it, just saying, though this isn't one of those portions of scripture where, where Jesus is saying, I am God, or someone else is saying, you are God. This is included because it's such a part of the ministry of Jesus, what we find here. And so we begin, I'm going to kind of share the story through what we learned from, but also just as a story because it's fascinating what we find here and the characters that are involved. Um, we enter this story where Jesus, it says, went to the Mount of Olives, and he spends the night out there. Why? Because Jesus didn't have a home. Jesus was homeless, and so he would often go and stay at the Mount of Olives overnight. We find him there in multiple passages, not only resting, getting away from the city, and sometimes, if you, any of you are avid backpackers, that's probably the reason why, right? You, you, get away, you get out there just to be away, to be quiet. He prayed to God. He was refreshed by God. He spent time out there and loving relationship with his dad. But he was also out there, and it's recorded in, in Hebrews 13, Hebrews 7. It says, weeping and crying for the people that he had just been with that day. The people that, it says, were like sheep without a shepherd that were just wandering around, had lost their purpose in life, who didn't know where healing was coming from, were still looking for a Messiah but had lost hope. And so he saw these people, and he would go back away to the mountains, and he would come to be with God, and he was refreshed by him, but he would weep, saying, when, I'm, when will the time come when, when finally their healing is, is finished, right? As, as he waited for his time on the cross. With, it says, with loud prayers and cries, because it was also something that terrified him. So he's out there, um, comes back in to the temple in the morning, early in the morning. And he starts teaching there. And this is, uh, this is the last day of a, a feast week, and so it's the Sabbath day. And so everyone gathers around him. Imagine walking to the temple court. If, if you're used to a high school classroom, you kind of know where the party is, right? You're like, you go into a lunchroom, and you're like... That's where, so it's kind of like that. So they go into the temple court, and everyone's, everyone's around Jesus, which is strange because he's this nomadic, homeless sage who people are going to, to have, have the word of God explained to them. So they're gathered around him, and while this is going on, a group of the, the, the pastors of the temple 
come up with a woman who's been caught in adultery. Okay, so presumably, this, she wasn't caught in the morning, right? Presumably she was probably caught the night before. So they've been holding her overnight just to bring her to Jesus to see what he will do. Because it says they're there to trap him, right? And where you find this woman as they bring her in, is it says standing, standing in front of everyone, right? So not only has she been caught in this, this act that she's, is shameful, right? But she's brought in, and here she's brought not only before uh, a group of governing officials who, who might you know, bring judgment upon her, but now she's brought into this temple court where everyone, everyone who's around her is now watching her. And it says, it's very vulnerable here. Um, read right there in the, in the end of verse 3, and it says, they made her stand before the group. So she's exposed, defenseless, in front of all watching eyes. And so what's strange is we don't have her reaction at all, right? And, and usually I think we'll read sympathy into it, which is okay. But we'll read sympathy, and, and, and we, so we usually see her standing there very helplessly. But, but all of us are very familiar with those, those sort of defiant types, too, that are like, yeah, you caught me, do what you're going to do, right? So who knows? Who knows where she is? And, and even by the time we get to the end, we'll, we'll find that we still don't know a whole lot about her. But here we have this woman who's been caught. And get this, as she brought in, she's just standing there. All eyes are judging her. And, and they ask Jesus this. This is what, what the people who have brought her there ask Jesus. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses... It's commanded to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? So what's the trap that's been laid? There's two options here for Jesus to go. The first is go against the law of Moses. And so what are they going to do? Ha ha! See, there you are. You're, you're a terrible teacher. You just go against the law of Moses. Right? And so they've won the argument. Second way, he could go, okay, what needs to happen is she needs to be put to death. And then he's usurping the power of Rome, right? You'll find, remember in, in Jesus, when Jesus is brought finally before Pilate, and Pilate says, why don't, why don't you just you know, take him away and judge him? And they go, because we don't have the power to put him to death. Only you have the power to put him to death. And so in the same way, if Jesus made that claim and said, yes, she deserves to die, go, you know, take her away, they could just bring him right to the Roman authorities and say, this man is usurping your power. You know, do what you will with him. And so he's trapped. And so what does he do? Well, what's, what do you think is running through the mind of Jesus right now? I have no idea. But, <laughs> but this is what we have here. We have, I, I want you to grab a hold of this. That, that what is going on especially as the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law bring this woman to Jesus, that, that the issue of adultery is a serious issue, first of all. Right? And secondly, consider this, that what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are asking for is a righteous request according to the law of God. Right? So what they're asking for is oftentimes we read our own sympathies into it, 
But in Exodus 20, right, in the, in the Ten Commandments, it says so clearly, do not commit adultery. Right? Deuteronomy 22.22 says, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. Right? So they're bringing this woman to Jesus saying, what do you say? Right? Because if you say that death is not deserved here, you're clearly going against the law of Moses. And so I want, I want us to unpack this really quick and say, what do we, what do, we do? What do we do with this? Is, because I think so often the time that, that we don't understand God is because we come to something like this and we're like, I really, I like the way Jesus is handling this because at, at all cost, mercy, right? And so what we read into is like, oh, if anything comes, well, it's not that big of a deal, right? Adultery isn't that big of a deal, just... But that's not at all what's going on here. Not at all what's going on here. There's a difference between the way that God's commands fall and our, our laws or our commands come about. God's commands are based upon himself. And God is, as it says, God is unchanging and it also says in Scripture that he says, I, I am not, I'm not a man that I should change my mind. Right? So as we think about it in this way, and I've talked about sympathies really briefly, but as we form our opinions, our laws, so much of it now is based upon our preferences and, and our sympathies and how those fall. And I want you just to... You know, we could talk about this in a lot of ways, but I, I want you to think about this in regards to, um, and I'm not, I'm not pointing at anything in particular, but in regard to the movies we watch, the music we listen to, and the books we read, and how we digest all of that, because we do, right? And so I'm not going to be up here and be like, R-rateds are sometimes okay, PG-13, right? No, like we're, we're not doing this, this, this slope of judgment here. What we're doing is, as we digest this, think about the ways we usually process things, right? So we'll often find in movies that we're the ones that are like, yeah, kill him, <laughs> right? Like what are we rooting for, right? Or if we're watching a romantic chick flick, not that I do, right? We, we find ourselves all along the way being like, I hope they hook up, right? Like, what are we cheering for? What are we sympathetic to? What do we own? Right? And how quickly we begin in our own lives owning things that if we stopped, we're like, why am I owning that? Right? Because we change so quickly. Right? We'll hear one story where a man leaves his wife and we'll say, we'll say, that unbelievable. Right? Un, that is that that is ridiculous, right? I, there's a lot I could say. There's a lot going in my mind right now, but at another level, we will hear that and be like, "Yeah, that woman, man, she deserved it," right? What do we do? What do we base our judgments on, and why? Right? Because we are like we're like the sand that. That the waves keep you know, smashing over and it keeps shifting and we have no place to stand. That's really where we fall. But God falls in a very different place. 
with his laws. His laws are built upon his character. And so as we read, even say just the Ten Commandments, where this command falls within, do not commit adultery, we find in each one of those commands, they're built upon his character. Right? Why, why should you not commit adultery? Because when God thinks about relationships, this is what he thinks about. He thinks about mutual service, right? He thinks about loyalty and trust and, and a love that is built upon a covenant relationship with both people saying, I'm invested and I'm owning this. And, and death will not, you know, death is the only thing that can part us, right? Because I'm, I'm in it through thick and thin, through better for worse, through richer for poor, right? This covenant love that we find in God himself is he covenants with a people that are unfaithful in the Old Testament. So, so as we read the scripture and we read the laws of God, God isn't like, like the Roman emperor who's standing above the gladiator game saying, mm, yeah, maybe not, right? God is, God is from within himself, right? From this infinite spring of love, mercy, goodness, judgment, right? Justice. All these things. He's, he's bringing forth these laws and setting before him saying, this is good, right? To be in a relationship that is faithful is good, Right? And, and, he, and so when this, this judgment comes, right, that those who are caught in adultery should be put to death, literally, what we're reading in there is, if, if we are not living according to the character of God, what are we living for? Right? And so as we come here, we find... We find ourselves, and I'm going to come back really quick to why we become so sympathetic in other ways. Because we ourselves live lives searching for relationship, searching for reliable love, right? And we go around, we look for these things. And so when we read the scripture, we don't see God saying, chick flicks are bad, relationships are bad. Right? Sex is bad. These things are bad. What we find is the whole Bible, the whole, um, the word hermeneutic came to mind, right? The, the whole teaching of Scripture is about God creating humanity in such a way that they're alive when they're in relationship. They're alive when they're in relationship with God, and they're alive when they're in relationship with each other, right? And so that's why when he creates Adam, and he goes through this whole lesson of bringing all the animals, and he doesn't find any of the animals attractive, and then he finds Eve, and she's like, beautiful, right? And, and he's in this whole thing, is because it's not good for, for people to be alone. It's good for people to be in relationship. Right? But God, when he created, said, this is good relationship, and this will kill you. Okay? And so, and so that, that is, I wouldn't say that's what's going through Jesus' mind. But, but as we come to this, this is a really serious issue. And it's a serious issue in the heart and mind of Jesus because his whole purpose in coming is to bring about healthy relationship again. Right? And we find that in Ephesians 5, right? It says, Jesus loved and laid down his life for the church, right? For his people, for his bride. In such a way, a man who loves his wife should lay down his life for her. 
And so, and so as Jesus deals with this, it is by no means something that is a simple, easy issue. It is something that's serious, and we need to take it seriously too. Let's not read this and be like, oh, Jesus just had mercy. No, no. So what we get here is though that Jesus doesn't respond. Jesus, it says, he, he bends down and he writes in the ground. So our, the way we usually go about these things is sort of like we use our bear fighting mentality with everything, get bigger and meaner, and then hopefully it will run away. And, and that's usually what we do when we have disagreements or someone's trying to challenge us. We're like, well, I'm way more smart than you are, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. So he, he bends down and he begins riding in the ground. And this, this I'm sure, it kind of jostled the crowd. If, if I bent down and started riding, you guys wouldn't know anything I'm doing, right? And so I'm sure everyone's like, what's going on, right? And they're like, they're trying to kind of find out what's going on. And it says, while this is going on, while he's riding in the ground, it says, they kept on questioning him. And so, so he's riding on the ground, and there is no peace, there's no serenity. They're, I mean, they want blood. They're <laughs> coming around him. And so it says, then he straightens up again. Gets their attention, right? They're trying to see because they can't see him. He straightens up, gets their attention, and this is what he says to them. He says, if any of you is without sin... Let him throw the first stone. If any of you is without sin, let him throw the first stone. Which, which for us, we're probably not, oh, maybe not, maybe we don't go that route because, because these, these were people that were, in, in the eyes of everyone, these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, they, they were sinless. <laughs> I mean, they, they, kept, they kept the Ten Commandments, they kept these... The, the law of, of Moses. Um, but if any of you is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And that's all he says. And then he bends down and he starts riding again in the sand. What is he riding? And why is he riding? Well, first, I'll, I want to answer the question, why, why is Jesus writing? And this is very interesting because this is actually the only time in all of the Gospels that we find Jesus writing. The only time we find Jesus writing. And, and there's a the couple reasons why it's really interesting here because it's a Sabbath day. And there was actually a law that you couldn't write more than two symbols on a Sabbath day unless you were writing in dirt. <laughs> so conveniently, Jesus is writing in dirt. But even more so, in Jeremiah 13, 17, it says this, and this, is, this kind, of, kind of clues us in to maybe what's going on here. Jeremiah 17, 13 says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. So there was this concept written in the Law and the Prophets of, of both those who would be written in the Book of Life and those who would be written in dust. 
And so that's, that's possibly an understanding we go with, is, is maybe he was writing their names in dust. What, what is he writing? And first of all, I just have to say, we don't know what he's writing. But it's apparent that what he is writing is, is so convicting them that, that they, they're putting down their stones and leaving. And this is what I think um, Jesus is doing as he's writing is that, that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are so perfect in their own eyes, so able to judge this woman, because they, they see perfection being something external. Right? They, they tithe even their spices. Right? Go to your spice rack, tithe 10, 10% of them. Right? That's what they do. Right? They tithe everything. The, everything they do has been calculated so that their appearance is perfection. But what Jesus was doing throughout his whole ministry on earth was piercing through the soul of people, right? For them to see that there was sin in our hearts. Right? So what he's, I'm convinced what he is doing here is showing them, perhaps it was just writing again before them, the Ten Commandments. It could have been as that. As, as we find the hand of God writing the Ten Commandments on tablets in, in Exodus, but we find Jesus writing them on the, on the floor of the temple. Who knows? But as he's bringing before them something that they can no longer say, I'm without sin, but can look within and say, I too have sinned. I, I cannot throw the first stone. And this is the first step to becoming a community that begins healing, is that we all understand that we are wounded. The woman who is standing there so obviously wounded is not the only woman who, not the only person who is wounded there. Right? And the only way those, those people who wanted to judge her and kill her would have left is if they realized... I'm, I'm not without sin. So what would cause us to participate in the renewing of that woman, right? And the renewing of, of finding even renewal ourselves. Jesus said very clearly, he says, I have not come to those who are healthy, I've come to those who are sick. Right, so he's coming to those who are realizing that, that they are also, also with sin. Because sin so often is something that we describe in dirty terms, right? Adultery, other forms of immorality, right? We, oftentimes if you, you hear sermons, you'll just hear thrown out drunkenness, debauchery, whatever it is. But, but what sin is, sin is not, those are sins, uh, but what sin is, is the way we act when we're separate from God. Right? It just means the whole, the whole direction, the whole movement of our lives are walking apart from Him, because what we've been created for is to walk in relationship with Him. Right? That's where healing is. That's where the doctor is, right? That's, it says, by his wounds we are healed. And so it has to be, when we are communicating with him, able to finally, whether it's just look to him or even just talk and say, Father, I have sinned, right? Kind of like the prodigal son coming home, and I don't deserve, 
I don't deserve to be a part. I don't deserve to be here with you, but God, have mercy on me. Right? So as we, as we come back into that relationship with God, that is how we begin finding a life of purity. And so as he writes, it says, all of them leave, and which is really interesting. It says, the older first and then the younger. And, and what's so compelling about this story is that it gives those small tidbits of information. But it seems like the biggest tidbits you don't get, what is he writing? <laughs> right? What is the woman, what, is, what are her feelings along the way? And, and I think, just to say I think there's good reason why we don't have what Jesus is writing. And I'll just mention that really quickly. I think why we don't have what Jesus is writing is because we are very prone to, to just like saying like, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. Right? I'll do this, I won't do that. And, and I remember when I was younger and I was growing up, and I, my dad probably doesn't remember this, but I remember one time coming up to him and saying, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, Basically, this isn't exactly what I said, but basically it was like, I'm really just going to stick to like the red letter portions in the scripture. Right? It's what Jesus said. I feel it's safe, understandable, right? We can just grab a hold of that. And, and that's kind of what we do. And you, you hear people, we're so selective in our reading of scripture, right? So I think if we had what Jesus wrote here, probably a lot of people would just be like, well, those four sentences is all Jesus wrote, so that's all I'm keeping, and I'm, that sounds funny, but people would do that, and probably most of us would do that, right? That's why most of us just toss out the Old Testament and keep the New Testament, right? Because we're so selective, and we're like, I like this. I don't like, I don't understand this. Whatever it is. And I think this is why we don't have it. But listen, consider 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture, and mind you that the New Testament is just being written at this point, Right? So it's time about the Old Testament. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for all good works. All scripture is God-breathed. Right? So as he was interacting with these people, he was just, he was giving what they needed to hear. 2 Peter 1.21 talks about how how th- those who wrote the scriptures weren't just writing their own inspiration, but it was, it was m- people moved along by the Holy Spirit. Right? And so as we, we have in the, ho- the whole of scripture words that God's giving us for instruction, not just those four, however, however long it was that he wrote. So now as everyone has left, we have Jesus and this woman. And it's this really interesting spot where, where Jesus is still stooped down writing, for the second time, and it says all of them leave and they're alone. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, says, uh, he says it in Latin, but he says this, he says, a wretched woman in mercy, right? So, so this temple court, which is, I don't know, probably larger than this, just empty now, and it's just Jesus and this woman, right? And he hasn't really said anything, you know, I, because here we have someone that, that could throw the first stone, right? Someone without sin. Someone who could, who could you know, say, you, you are deserving of that punishment. I'm sorry, right? 
So what does he do? What, what do they do here? Jesus rises and, and he says, Woman, where are they? There is no one to condemn you. Um, has no one condemned you? And, and I think part of this is, is her, him sort of giving back her humanity. <laughs> right? So all along, this woman hasn't spoken at all and she hasn't been allowed to speak. Right? So as, as they're, they're here together, he asks her a question. He's allowing her to speak. He's allowing her to be a part of this conversation. And she just says, no one, sir. Because what is she going to say here? Do you think she was expecting the night before to be here in this place the next morning? Right? I don't think so. She probably didn't prepare a speech for this occasion. And so here is, is she, she is waiting still for his, his response. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. So two things really quick as we wrap up. The first is that he says he does not condemn her. And, and take this with John 3. We're so familiar with 3.16. But, but right after that, so I'll read 16 into, into the next verse. It says, So God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Right? So, that, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So what's the context of his coming? It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So this woman is there. She's stand condemned already. But Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but through him to welcome the world back into relationship with God. But notice also that he is not ignoring what's happened. He's not ignoring the sin. And, and this is really important for us um, to understand also is we, we desire to be a community of healing. I'll share this story oftentimes because people ask us about what we view about different issues. What are you guys' views about homosexuality, abortion, you know, all, all the, the big issues, right, that people come and they're like, what are, what are your views on them? As the coffee oasis, which now is, you know, going to Paul's bones, so people are intimidated. What, what, what will they do? What will they just, you know, <laughs> will they make our kids feel condemned? Um, and, and truthfully, this is the story I always share. <laughs> I say, well, you can read our statement of faith and you can see what we, we think on all these issues, but what I want you to know is this story where Jesus comes... And first, what this woman feels is protected by Jesus, right? Not condemned. And he says, neither do I condemn you, but he's also not condoning. And can we do that, right? As we stand here where there's this, in this moment, and, and I think so often in our lives, we, we, we teeter between this, this burden of hope and despair where we have hope that maybe, maybe this one will accept me and save me and love me and heal me, but this despair because, because, because I'm very familiar with this being very wrong and, and I feel it so much in myself, um, the weight of condemnation, I don't need anyone else to condemn me, right? I already know that. I don't even know what love is, right? And so I come to Jesus and what is he going to say? 
Right? And I believe this, this is what God is saying through Jesus. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? So he's saying, come. I want you to know that I want you. Right? And I love you and I care for you. But he's also offering them true healing. And what the amazing thing is, as we leave this story, is we don't know the decision that the woman left with. We don't know if, if she was saying... If she was saying, at the end of that time, yes, I I will go and I will do that. Or or if she left just disregarding of it. Um, And I think part of this is is important for us to grab a hold of because Jesus didn't just look for like an easy conversion. Right? He he could have in that time been like, see, I saved you already. I can save you again. You know, just pray this prayer with me. Um, but, but I think this is partly what's going on, is that that, that woman had no idea she was going to be there that day, right? All of a sudden, she's yanked out of bed, she's brought there, you know, I don't know what she's wearing, she's just there, and, and she's watching all this play out before her eyes, and all of a sudden, she finds this, this man who isn't judging her, but a man who's willing to not condemn her. And offering her a new start, a new hope, but not cheaply. I think what Jesus is offering her is if you want to enter into a covenant love relationship with God, you can do that. But it has to be her decision too, right? Many times Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, right? And that's not what he's saying here, right? He says, you're not condemned, go and sin no more. But because I don't think she, in her own heart, has made that commitment here, right? She's there going like, she's probably still stunned that she is there, right? How, how often in our lives, in conversation with people, do we not honor the, the place that they're at? And I think Jesus is there. And so I think if she goes, she goes and she says, he has brought me peace, and I'm going to go and I'm going to seek to live a sinless life, she's going to realize really soon that that's the Jesus. That's the one who can bring her peace. That's the one who can lead her into a sinless life because she will still bear so many burdens unless she comes and, and enters into that covenant love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's really what's available to us today, to you, whether you've entered that love relationship with God, that covenant relationship where Jesus is saying, come, right? You can receive forgiveness in me, right? There's, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And so to come and, and to not just try on your own to live a sinless life, but to come to, to him who can forgive you of your sins and live in relationship with him. And so that's what we believe here as a church. We believe Christ is the center, and as he is the center, that we as a church, and, and may, may it expand to the whole community, the greater community, Bremerton, Kitsap County, the world, um, that they can come to Jesus and be restored. Right? Um, that is so exciting. Um, and I pray, I pray that our church just keeps growing because of that, not because people are coming from other churches, but because people are getting to know Jesus as one who could 
really forgive them of their sins. And doesn't heal us at all to ignore those things, but to really come and really be healed. Um, so, the purpose of this, this whole time, and the, the, the theme, the main theme here is that the place of healing is a place where covenant love relationship with God is restored. Right? A place of healing is where that covenant relationship of love with God is restored, and, and by God's grace, I pray that it will be that. You know, that the people, wherever they are, can come and, and be protected, be shielded, and be presented to Jesus Christ, who does not condemn, but seeks that they be reconciled to himself, because if, if they don't, they already stand condemned, right? We already stand condemned unless we come to, to him who alone can restore us. So pray with me and, and we'll just we'll sing together. Father, I pray by your mercy that these words will have powerful effect upon our lives. Um, God, I pray that in your mercy that none of us will be those who condemn. Oh God, you say that those who have been forgiven much will love much, and I pray that maybe even now some of us will remember again how much we've been forgiven. Um, and, and Father, I just pray that um, if there are those who haven't, haven't come to Jesus and, f- and found him forgiving and loving, that they'll come today. I pray this in, in his mighty name, amen.